because I don't know where that comes from. Sorry, it usually doesn't say that, but <laughs> um, I was halfway through my my last one on on Sunday because I was in a hotel. Things were off, and I forgot to hit record on uh, a lot of the uh, the thing there. Sorry. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Alethea asked Cindy, where do you live in Colorado? <laughs> if you hadn't seen it already, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I forgot to unmute myself. Me, Cindy, or the other Cindy? Because there's two Cindys. You, Cindy. Me? Okay, I'm I'm in Rangeley. My husband. My husband's from uh, Littleton and I go, it's on the Western side. Is it Granger? He's like, that doesn't sound familiar. So you're in, I got it kind of close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Rangely. It's a teeny tiny little town um, about less than an hour away from Vernal, but just uh, down past Dinosaur. You go to Dinosaur and then go south a little bit. <laughs> We've been through, didn't we go through Vernal? Yeah, we've been through there when we drive to Utah from here. Yeah, okay. Now, where are you? You're in Texas, right? We're in Fort Worth, yeah. Okay. So I wonder, do you come up? You probably don't come up through Rangeley though, huh? We can, sometimes we do. And other times okay. we stop and my father-in-law lives in Castle Rock. So sometimes we go that way. Okay. Well, if you ever come through Rangeley, let me know. I'll look you up, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's only two boards here, so <laughs> fun. Yes. Yeah. Hey, sorry, didn't mean to hijack that. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> I, I, I just barely seen it before we get started, so I thought we'd yeah, get out. All right, so I don't know. I probably haven't prayed for a while, so I'll go ahead and offer the opening prayer. <laughs> our dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for all of our many blessings and grateful for this study time that we we have together. We are so grateful for the scriptures, for the, the light and truth and discernment which which we've been blessed to, to further our knowledge in these latter days. We're so grateful for the wisdom that we've been finding through Isaiah decoded and, and through his uh, prophecies and words and example. We pray that we might have um, thy spirit tonight to, to guide our discussion and our thoughts so that we might comprehend these concepts and um, learn how to apply them in our missions here on earth. We're so grateful for the, the opportunities with which we have to ascend the ladder and um, and bless thy children here on earth. We're grateful for uh, thy plan for our Savior that makes it all possible. And, and we say these things in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So chapter seven, this is, this is a fun one. Um, just to kind of get people started talking and, and things um i would like to ask what is your favorite figure or or chart throughout this chapter now i know that that might exclude some that that only listen to the audiobook but um throughout all of the chapters there's like figure 93 or uh, all of these like little handy charts kind of thing 
which one was your favorite this chapter that helped you um, understand things better or or clarify a concept? Um, just kind of looking through those. Uh, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Um, it might take you a second to to look for that. So I'm just going to kind of talk in the meantime. And anytime you have uh, your favorite that you'd like to pull out, um, go ahead and, and unmute yourself. Um, but I, I I just love all of these these handy little charts, which you don't get in the electronic copy, but um, uh, I find them very handy to, to see the difference between some of these concepts that, that are playing out. Um, for example, um, the one on page 230 um, was, was one of my favorite ones this time. Uh, the scope of proxy salvation, where Jehovah is a universal versus seraphs are international, and then the son servant level is like a local um, proxy salvation that, that they render there. Uh, kind of looking at the different jurisdictions, I, I guess you'd say, on uh, proxy salvation. I thought that that was very interesting and in, in how that plays into the text that, that he's describing here. Um, anyone else uh, like to, to share one of their, their favorite figures or, or charts from, from this chapter and, and why that, that was meaningful to you? I just want to say on that one, it that whole concept of seraphs, seraphs gathering internationally, just, I'm not saying that we're in the seraph, I'm just saying it certainly reminds me of um, all that President Nelson is asking us to do in gathering on both sides of the veil. Yeah. You know, doing the indexing, doing temple work, um, missionary work, just all of that just really made me think this is more international, like what we're doing this gathering. And I thought that was super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> All right. Any uh, um, for anyone that just joined, we're we're talking about some of our favorite figures or charts that are throughout the chapter. Um, uh, if you want to share any of those. Uh, and if not, that's fine. We can can dive into the, the chapter as well. But um, I just love those charts and throwing that out there. I like that figure 95 on page 228, the agents of proxy salvation. Mm -hmm. um, so Jehovah is the spiritual salvation from sin and iniquity. Seraph's divine intervention accompanied by miracles and God's son servants is a physical protection against enemies. I don't know why I really liked that one. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I think that... I think that um, it kind of, I don't know, just seeing the separate roles, like there's that physical where the next one uh, in the seraphs is even more miraculous, I guess, with divine intervention and having, um, you know, that role as a seraph to come down and to protect. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know, I, I liked seeing how the seraphs and the God's son servant, they almost work together, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really liked, I liked this chapter a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting uh, further on in where it talks about um, how they receive their missions kind of down the ladder. We pray to God. We don't pray to seraphs. We don't pray to son servants, etc. But we pray to God and he then sends messengers all along the way, uh, sends it out so that we can all 
uh, turn around and bless others, uh, either on our level or or beneath us, kind of a thing. I think that was that was huge for me. I thought of Bruce L. McConkie, uh, Elder McConkie, when I page two twenty six, where it talks about uh, seeing eye to eye and being a watchman. And remembering his talk about being a watchman, uh, I never made that connection until I read this chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't think of Bruce McConkey. I thought of that concept or whatever that as I was reading, I was like, "Oh, this is so cool." For sure. And then I think one of my favorite charts, for sure, is the very last one. Um, so on page two sixty one. Because um, as I was reading the son's servant chapter, I was like, oh, I really want to go back to Abraham's life and to some of these uh, other great prophets and really chart them out. Which visions did they see when, etc. And then I came to this chart on 261 and I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> the homework's already done. I don't need to go do it. Um, so the difference between the seraph's visions and the son's servant visions, I thought was very interesting. That the son's servants see local visions of God. It's on a mountain or in a temple, etc. It's in a holy place, but seraphs are the ones that get taken up to heaven and can see the bird's eye view, the, the cosmic vision, the panoramic vision, whatever you want to call it. But the sun servants, they receive their calling election, sure, their second comforter, etc. But it's a local vision, as we've seen in the Abraham book when we were uh, reading through there, that Abraham had these different visions at different places. And, and so we can, with this frame of reference, we can say, oh, okay, Abraham was a son's servant here versus when he ascended to the seraphim level here kind of thing. I, I thought that was very awesomely delineated out there. When I read this, I couldn't help but think, well, when he talked about how we'll each have our own little portal and travel, I it made me think of visions of glory. But then <laughs> that cosmic vision, then I'm thinking about like Nephi and you know, different um, Book of Mormon prophets, you know, I saw your day, you know, Moroni and Mormon. And I don't know, it was just kind of fun going, oh, wow, you know, and how um, in a way, like everything expands and gets bigger, the higher you go up. And yet I felt like, and I'm not sure how to describe it, everything was also more pinpointed. Like, mm. I guess like the roles were more more defined rather than being more broad. I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like that because as we do ascend, then then our, our missions become focused and, and we see as we are seen, you know, with more precision. I, I really like how you worded that. Um, in our in-class one that we just got out of, um, we were talking about somewhere through this chapter where it's talking about the Elijah, Elisha, and and or was that last chapter? Anyway, we were talking about it. <laughs> and and comparing that to the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ, the three, Peter, James, and John, um, etc., are both ascending on the ladder in, in that scenario as well. And anyway, we had lots of discussion there. And, and it's interesting to, to have this framework now um, of, of Isaiah's ladder and be able to really peg where people are at at any given point in the scriptures and, and really pattern our lives after those. Like, oh, okay. 
So if they went here and experienced this trial, et cetera, then, then we can kind of have a roadmap almost. You know, because I think that that's one of our, our greatest yearnings with, with higher understanding, with higher wisdom, et cetera, that, well, well, just tell me where to go next and I'll go kind of thing. But it, it's left up for us to, to find that that's part of the journey in and of itself. And anyway, I, Isaiah decoded is just enough of a hint to get us in the right direction that we understand the proper framework. And then the scriptures are just starting to unfold themselves. I don't know if anyone else is experiencing that, but I'm going back to like Lehi's dream with this framework in mind and going, oh, I thought I had it before, but now I'm starting to see many new dimensions to it that, that weren't there to me previously. So I don't know. It, it's so fun to, to have this and kind of amplify, uh, get a new layer uh, peeled back from the, from the onion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of want to start off on, on page 224 um, with just some, some interesting questions here. So I'm going to read just a couple sentences and then, and then post some questions. So it says at the very last paragraph, of course, angels also minister to us from the world of spirits without our seeing them, inspiring, protecting, comforting, as they receive assignments from higher up the ladder. In fact, they are often more concerned with our well-being than we are. Our intercession with God on behalf of others greatly influences their ministry, as they may intervene in the lives of those for whom we pray when we are unable to assist them. And I thought that that was very interesting, you know, this assignments... Uh, down the ladder kind of a thing. So as we receive assignments on our level, are we supposed to extend assignments down the ladder to, to those uh, below us? Is that part of the raising up? Is that how we reach down and raise people up is by extending invitations and assignments and, and things? You know, as we're, we're gathering Israel as missionaries, it's all about extending invitations, right? No one gets baptized without being invited to do so. I mean, rarely. Yeah, there's always the exceptions, but that's that's how we learn to grow. That's how we accept challenges to read the Book of Mormon in uh, a short period of time. That's how we uh, do most of our learning is, is by accepting a challenge, fulfilling it, and, and, and progressing. And, and I thought that that was interesting, the, the idea of assignments and I don't know, since I've not been a full-time missionary, I, I just don't as extend invitations or assignments much anymore, at least not cognitively. So I think that that's, that was a huge game changer for me. Like, oh, okay, I need to, to be doing that more, inviting people to, to turn to Christ, to invite him into their lives more, uh, trying to help anyone on my level or, or lower levels of, of the ladder to, to turn to Christ. So with that in mind, um, we have throughout this whole chapter, lots of talk of uh, seraphim and translated beings, etc. Are all seraphs translated or vice versa, are all translated beings on the seraph level? What uh, like if you're drawing a Venn diagram, are they uh, overlapping? Are they mutually exclusive? What are what are your ideas on that? On, on those two questions? 
on are all translated bean serifs and are all serifs translated beans? I, th I think that they overlap because I think becoming translated is a process. I don't think it just happens all at once. So I would, I just would think that as it's a process, it's as we learn and grow that it might be over a couple levels. I don't know. I didn't think about are all serifs translated. Of course, it said that as a serif, you have the power to to move through portals or light or whatever. So I don't know. It also used the word and I circled it. I don't know. Oh, here it is on 225 where it says God grants those who attain. It's right in the middle. Um, the seraph level, a vision of his glory and of the end from the beginning, he renews their strength as he did Moses and Elijah. And I circled that word renew. And then it says many of these seraphs overcome death. So that made me think translation. Um, but it also uses the word many, which intimates not all. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and maybe it's according to the assignment that the Lord has for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on that? And, uh, if we could trend or replace the word translated with, with angels. Are all angels seraphs or are all seraphs angels? Yeah, that's another set of questions I, I have here on, on this page. But isn't that your definition of an angel? Because uh, President, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. Elder Holland, I think it was October of 2008, gave his talk in general conference on angels. And he talked about how it was our deceased family members will come and help us, at which point that doesn't necessarily mean that they're seraphs just because they're deceased, right? Or do they have to be seraphs to come and help us? But I, I don't know. I just think there's so many on the other side. I think he even talked about those who've passed on and the yet unborn. So come and come to your aid. And so I would think that maybe there's different types of angels. I don't know. Different categories of them, yeah. Can I we hop in for a second? A, we just use that as a broad term, maybe. Go ahead, I'm sorry, Shema. No, that was me hopping in. Not, <laughs> not you interrupting, that was me. Um, there are totally different kinds of angels from my understanding. Um, there are, if you listen to Elder Holland's talk from however long ago, he talks about it there are the angels that are in heaven you know that have died and um, not been resurrected yet they're the ones that have been resurrected and that have bodies of flesh and bone flesh and bones so there's like what what are they called just men made for perfect and then the ones who've been resurrected so they're in their more perfect form um and then there's also um angels that have not had bodies yet those who have yet to come to earth there are also angels that are in physical bodies on the earth right now and um, plus the ones right that have been translated maybe i'm saying it a little bit wrong but from my understanding in the study there's like seven different kinds of angels mm -hmm. yeah oh right unfallen angels thank you that correction from my son the ones that um aren't quite where they're meant to be yet or maybe they are 
Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> so I, I shared this in, in our other group, but I, I don't know if feels appropriate here too. So just real quick, uh, interesting story that with this new framework gives a, a totally expanded view of, of what was happening here. So, um, and I don't know, I might have shared it before, but <laughs> who knows? Anyway, um, so a few years ago, my grandmother was dealing with depression for the very first time. She uh, just got the winter blues and could not step out of it. It was getting really bad. There was uh, just Lots of lots of darkness with that, and uh, I remember that I, I was driving in a snowstorm. That it was very prominent. It's not part of the uh, important to the story, but it, it's important to to remember how I was, uh, what I was doing at the time. I was driving through the the middle of a snowstorm, and um, I, I got the clear, distinct impression that my grandmother was going through a really hard moment. That uh, things were really bad. Uh, with the, the depression there. And we had just learned in Institute uh, that that Wednesday before that we can call on our ancestors by name uh, in order to, to go minister. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, okay, uh, you know, Christmas time, the snow and everything. I was like, okay, on Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen. I was calling all the ancestors. I didn't know where to start. So I was just doing a, a shotgun approach. And, and nothing was just quite feeling right. I don't know. I I didn't feel anything and that's what the problem was. And so um, uh, then it came to me, it was like, oh, I was calling on the wrong people all along. Um, her son uh, died in, in his uh, youth. I, he was like 20 or so um, from, from kidney failure and, and, and different things. Anyway, uh, it was like, call on him. And I was like, oh, perfect. This will be awesome because like, I'm sure that he dealt with with depression and stuff as he was dying, et cetera, and, and all of that, that emotion. And so I was like, I, I called on him to, to go minister to her. And right then he he appeared. I can't say that I seen him with my physical eyes, but definitely with my spiritual eyes, he was sitting right next to me as clear as day and, and told me that he would go take care of it. And um, now, how many years after the fact, uh, I'm reading this and going, Oh, sun servant level, we call on, uh, we pray to Heavenly Father and, and ask for seraphs by name to go and minister to those in need. It's like, this makes so much sense. No wonder we do a family history work the way that we do. And, and we have the power as we enact the Davidic covenant on behalf of others to call down angels. And so uh, here on, on 224, when it says, our intercession with God on behalf of others greatly influences their, the seraphs, ministry, as they may intervene in the lives of those for whom we pray when we are unable to assist them. Anyway, it just like blew my mind when I read this the other day and I was like, there it is. There it is in a nutshell. I, I was living it, but I didn't know why or how or what. And, and now that I know, I guess you could say like the divine law surrounding things, I can actively do this and participate in it much more often with much more intent, with faith, knowing that these things will happen and, and really start applying and using the Davidic covenant a lot more in my life in order to 
to provide protection uh, to, uh, like President Nelson says, only those men who uh, seek to be taught by the Lord himself will be able to bless, guide, protect, strengthen, and heal others through that Davidic covenant on the son-servant level. I was like, oh, this just makes so much sense. I, I, <laughs> if anything, that's one of my, my favorite parts of the book. I, I just loved that insight, uh, how all of this framework now is applicable. I can take this, apply it, and just live it kind of thing. Um, anyway, that's what I got to say on that. Anybody have any comments or we just, we can move on to another uh, oh, part of can it. I, can I uh, just read something from page 170 yeah. of the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith? As uh, many have supposed that the doctrine of translation was a doctrine whereby men were taken immediately into the presence of God and into eternal fullness, but this is a mistaken idea. Their place of habitation is that of a terrestrial order and a place prepared for such characters he held in reserve to be ministering angels and to many planets. And who as yet have not entered into so a greater fullness of those who are resurrected from the dead. So what do you think of that? Yes, I, I love that because we, we had some questions in our in-person group and I think that that answers all of those perfectly. <laughs> I love that. I mean, how many times have I heard that, but never really fully understood it for, for what it's saying? Uh, I think that that's a beautiful comparison of, of translated beings and resurrected beings and their purpose and mission that, I don't know, I've never quite put together before. Thank you. Yeah, what pages did you say that was on 171? That was uh, TPJS, uh, page 170. 170, okay. Right, and it says that translated beings are, uh, you know, the next step is for them to be resurrected, but that, as we know, they're twinkled, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. When twinkling Renai, and that really is their death and resurrection as, uh, during that twinkling, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, let's see, where do we go next? There's so many fun things in this chapter. Um, where was it? I really liked learning, well, one about the 144,000 and also about the role of seraphs in the building of Zion and the new Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. I know like the 144,000 and stuff like page 231 uh, I'm not sure if that's exactly where it's talking about the, the building of Zion, but. No, I think that came a little later, but let's just talk <laughs> about the 144,000. I just thought that was super interesting. And that piggybacks off of last week when, ah, I can't remember who it was, had the question of the 144,000, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I do love that, that chart on 231 where... All of these different prophets are seeing the same thing, but they're calling it by different names, right? And we see that with Ezra and Daniel and Ezekiel, etc., on lots of different interpretations of things. But yet, these prophetic parallels, we have kings and queens here in Isaiah, but those equate to the 144,000 servants 
that that minister with the Davidic servant, um, uh, as long or, as well as uh, Enoch's watchers. Has anybody read or uh, either the Book of Enoch or the the commentaries that are that are pretty popular about the watchers and how that gets way blown out of proportion and misconstrued? They're just seraphs. They're they're not these. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, whatever you want to uh, attribute to them. Uh, but yeah, the, we have so many uh, comparisons here amongst the prophets. And uh, now that we know what seraphs are and what they do, it makes, it just kind of unlocks all of these different prophets and, and kind of ties them together uh, in new fun ways. So right in the middle of that paragraph before the prophetic par parallels that on um, table, uh -huh. Middle, it says the sealing of 144,000 servants with the name of God on their foreheads immediately before the destruction of the wicked reflects their ascent. I thought that was interesting that it was not really, not really planning for. It's kind of like we talk about Heavenly Father being the fourth watch God, right? Like it's at the very moment you need it. So we'll be put through all of that, whatever leads up to that. And then just immediately before the destruction, that ceiling happens. And then they, um, you know, are able to be protected from that. I just thought that was super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In our other group, uh, somebody mentioned the, the fact that, you know, we talk about the mark of the beast so much that sometimes we forget about the mark of the righteous, that, uh, that God is going to to literally, we're, we're going to have a righteous indicator of uh, his mark uh, upon us kind of thing. Uh, here, uh, sealing on the foreheads immediately before the destruction. Um, something that, that comes to mind uh, right off the bat is like Rahab, that, that story how, how she was able to, to save her family and stuff with, with a mark right before the destruction. Uh, it wasn't on the, the forehead or anything, but, but definitely that Passover imagery there that, that we have kind of replayed throughout scriptures and in reality i mean it says that th that there's a ceiling that happens but in reality aren't we the ones that mark ourselves and it's just like in the book of mormon where okay they had a curse but then people would mark themselves right yeah. it was with the war paint or the shorn heads or whatever and so in that respect by what we do Aren't we marking ourselves? Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, I like that. Um, a lot of times we we confuse the the mark with the actual curse and, and vice versa, you know. But but yeah, we 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 mark ourselves. Uh, we bring upon those those things uh, based upon our our actions. And some of that is receiving His image in our countenance, right? And I think that was one of the things we read about in earlier chapters. But it's we mark ourselves by what we choose to do. Mm -hmm. Is that what you were going to say, mom? <laughs> All of a sudden, you <laughs> put your hand down. Right. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. And then where was the one about Zion? Does anybody see that? There was, it was, I just thought it was super. Yeah, I'm trying to find it.
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll stumble upon it here in a second. <laughs> um, I, I loved on uh, there's two little summary paragraphs that on the bottom of two thirty eight, and then a couple pages later on two forty one. Um, but the very last sentence on 238 says that when God raises his hand in Enzyme, his servant, certain kings and queens among the nations, proxy saviors on the seraph level, assist the servant to gather from exile the sons and daughters among God's people and their dependents. I thought that was a, a very interesting tidbit that, I mean, we, we hear this, uh, Isaiah 49 quoted all the time, that... Uh, uh, sons in their bosoms carry the daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers and queens your nursing mothers. But I've never put it in its proper context. I always thought that um, it's just bringing all these these people in. But here, the sons and daughters are that son servant level, the ones that enact the Davidic covenant, and then their dependents come with them. and And I thought that, that was just a, a great. Uh, aha moment, I guess. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I finally get that scripture. How many times I've read that and uh, quoted it incorrectly. Uh, this is what it's talking about there. And then on, on page 241, right underneath the figure 101, that first sentence, at their return, God protects his people, Zion, Jerusalem, for the sake of his son slash servants. And he protects his son's servants for the sake of seraph saviors. So just like we receive our assignments or invitations from, from up the ladder, so too we receive our protection from up the ladder. So they're actively protecting us and, and actively inviting us to come to their level uh, as well. Anyway, I, I thought that those were great summary statements of, of this chapter, what all of this gets put together for the, the true purpose here. And on 240, that first full paragraph, that last sentence, the servant thus first fulfills a spiritual mission to God's people who are spiritually blind, captive, and in darkness before he physically delivers them. And isn't that the Lord's pattern that everything's spiritual before it's physical? Yeah. I thought that was super interesting. So in that same context, do we ascend the ladder spiritually before we actually ascend it physically? I, just I think so. I, I mean, I think there has to be that spiritual change to bring our body into that change, right? You have to change spiritually before you're translated. You don't mm -hmm. get translated and then go, oh, I better change. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I wish it would happen that way, but no. <laughs> yep, exactly. So what do the, the, this chapter and the one before it, so Sun Servant and Seraph, this is a tall order question, but what does it invite and empower you to do? What changes do you want to make in your life based upon, upon these chapters? Or, you know, if you'd rather answer for the whole book, you know, because the whole book's very enlightening, but, but what do these inspire you to do? What actions, what's next? 
for, for you in your life as you're uh, working your way up the ladder? How, how do these things apply? And that might be a more introspective question if nobody wants to answer, which is fine, but uh, I don't know. These, these past two chapters have just like emboldened me to, to just rise to, to the potential that, that's there. You know, I, I'm nowhere near this, but like, like get going. You want these things. Let's, let's pick up the, the, the pace here. <laughs> yeah, Cindy. I, I think for one thing, um, it makes me want to minister better um, just be a better minister, uh, not just to the people that I'm assigned to, but to everyone, everyone that I come in contact with, you know, um, cause I think that's, that's a huge thing. That's going to be a huge thing is how we minister. So we need to learn how to do that. Yeah. I was going to say that it gives me more of an eternal perspective and helps me to understand what my stewardship is. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Um, so this, I don't know, I've been watching this one weird YouTube. I, I rarely um, just watch for entertainment's sake. I, I've kind of given that up. Um, it's very educational, whatever I'm doing, but um, I had some weird free time, which never happens this week. And, and I just opened up YouTube and the first thing that popped up caught my eye. And so I watched it and I'm just like hooked. Like, <laughs> I don't even know. Let me, let me find uh, one of the videos and um, just share that real quick. How all of a sudden it's being slow. Just a second. Um, but anyway, this, this girl, Thoraya, I don't know if any of you else uh, watch her, her channel, but um, it, it's very interesting how she approaches life and, and what she's trying to, uh, to do. Um, I'm just, I'm not going to show the video, but I'm just going to, to paste the, the link to her channel. You can go check it out on, on your own time. Um, but she has a few different kind of topics that she, she regularly films. Uh, one is that she goes and sets up a microphone and asks people to share their, their biggest secret in the microphone. And afterwards, they can either uh, look at the micro or look at the camera, or they can just choose to, to walk away without uh, showing their face kind of thing. You know, a, a trigger alert. I mean, there, there are some very difficult topics that, that get discussed on on some of her things, but um, there's another one where she goes out and interviews uh, some, some homeless people sometimes and just ask their story. Uh, oh, yeah, why are you homeless? What uh, motivations, what dreams and aspirations do you have in life, etc. cetera? Um, there's one where she just tries to uh, get strangers perspectives on, on life or uh, one where she just has a whole hour of bringing people up to the camera and and telling them that they're beautiful and, and seeing their reaction kind of thing. Anyway, I, <laughs> I might watch it a little bit too much for entertainment's sake, but um, I, I'm just very intrigued with this approach that many people are in this either Jacob Israel or Babylon uh, category and 
for one, don't know it, and and two, don't know how to escape it. They they have no idea why their lives have ended up the way they have, or or why some of these things are happening to them, or why they feel the way they do. And uh, when I'm watching it, the first one that I watched, I was just like my my whole soul was kind of consumed by it. it was like oh my gosh, I wish I could just save these people kind of thing. And um, then later that night I, I was praying and I was like, why don't I approach my ministry in this way? Why don't I <laughs> yearn and, and have my bowels filled with compassion for, for people like I did when I was watching this, this YouTube video that I can literally do nothing about? Why don't I, I, I yearn for this? Like Cindy was saying, in my ministry, I, you know, like, I have people that I can actually save, and yet uh, sometimes it's so close to home that it's uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, too easy to <laughs> to save, I guess. I don't know how to, to put that into words, but um, anyway, I, there was just some, some very big, uh, I, I guess you could say, like, chastisements for me this week of, Cameron, get, get, your head out of the sand and, and get on the ball. Yeah, you know, if <laughs> you're wanting to ascend, but it, it, without doing it for the right reasons, for without helping people all around you, what what's the use? Kind of a thing. It's like, oh, okay, I got I got the message. I, I'm <laughs> gonna do better and change, kind of thing. I, I just love these chapters. I love learning. I love wisdom, and yet I think one of my biggest things to to learn is, is how to actually put things into practice on a daily basis on an hourly basis etc and um uh, doing things for the right reasons i i find myself getting very myopic on it on a day-to-day -day basis if that makes any sense i'm not trying to like self-deprecate but i i just love these two chapters is what i'm saying <laughs> sorry long-winded anybody else have anything to to share i do um I, I really agree with that because I, you know, it just makes me think about uh, faith without works is dead. And if we don't, if we're not actively trying to, to do something and, and like you said, for the right reasons, um, then I, I think it just is all, all for not, if we're not doing it for the right reasons, are we doing it be, because we want that for us or are we doing it because we love our fellow man and I've actually thought a lot about that lately and thinking you know I just need to make sure I'm doing things for the right reason and not for for a selfish reason because that's not going to get anybody anywhere <laughs> yeah so. yeah exactly And, and something with that as well, with the, the whole ministry thing that I was uh, saying, was like, <sighs> the first thing that popped in my head was, well, I don't know my ministry and families as well as these strangers are, are opening up. I mean, uh, they're, they're sharing the most intimate parts of their soul, and my ministry and families are, you know, more guarded and stuff. And then it was like, well, are you asking the same questions in order to pull out those, those uh, deep things in their lives? And it was like, no, you're not. Like, oh, okay. It, it, it's more about, um, eh, let's see, how do I phrase this? Um, 
it's not about home teaching. It's not about going in, sharing a lesson, getting out of there kind of thing on a monthly basis. This is about actually asking the deep questions to, to the ministry and families and stuff. And that was a big aha moment to me. It's like, well, I don't know anything about their lives. Well, whose fault is that? That, that, that definitely rests on me for not asking the questions, for not you know, how willing strangers are to open up to a camera and yet I can't ask honest, good questions to, to those I, I'm around kind of thing. And, and I just got thinking about that as well this week, that just as um, the levels of, above me on the ladder are, are reaching down and, and ministering, um, so too, I, I should be ministering down and, and asking questions, uh, finding, finding the yearnings of the soul and then, and then seeking to uh, be the answer that, you know, be an instrument in God's hands kind of thing for that person. Again, sorry, I'm really long-winded tonight, sorry. <laughs> hey, Cameron, I have a comment. Um, just as you were speaking, I was thinking, I was thinking about this earlier, how one thing I really feel like many of us are at fault in our church is that we paint a picture that our lives are perfect. Like we don't, we're real guarded and we don't really share, we don't share our insecurities or we don't share, you know, we have, we have this persona that we put out and how, when we will, we are willing to drop those and be raw and real and, you know, not share, not share all the laundry, the dirty laundry, but just be real with our lives, how other people feel safe to be real with theirs. But we have to kind of, I think that's one thing with LDS people. We kind of, we, we have an image we're all trying to portray that we have all of our crap together and none of us really do like <laughs> but it's like the image that we kind of all try to act like well I feel like many of us and I just think it's like relating and being and letting that guard down and finding true humility with others that they feel comfortable to be themselves mm -hmm. and I think that's an important part of ministry yeah exactly amen <laughs> There, I don't know. I just think as members of the church, one of the things we don't do is talk about spiritual experiences or the savior. And we had this amazing neighbor where we moved from who was, I thought she was born again, but she was Baptist and she knew we were LDS. Her husband was an oral surgeon and our Bishop was a dentist. So she knew the church. They, they, she knew him. And, um, it was just interesting. Like every time I talked with her, we drove away one time, we stopped on the side of the road. She was outside and talked with her and we left. And my son said, did you get that? She just referenced Isaiah. I'm like, she did. Cause they were studying the old Testament that year in seminary. And he goes, yeah, mom. And then, um, I think I told you about how, when her husband passed away, she would, she told me she prayed over everything to see all of his belongings, who they belonged to who she needed to give them to. Um, I can't tell you how many times I was with her and I'd say, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to, and she'd just start praying. Just start praying right then and there. 
And I'm like, why are we not like that? Why do we hold our spirituality so close? You know, and we don't share it even really, even in testimony meeting, we don't share it. And that's where we should be. And I just have to say that since this accident, it has been the biggest blessing in my life. And I have talked more openly with people I've come in contact, like the lady that's been washing my hair for me. Um, I don't know, just, I don't, I don't even come in contact with that many people, which is why it's so weird. I can tell you just strangers. I'm like, the Lord has blessed me so much. And then how people just open up. And it's completely different feeling. And I, I just want to share it more and more because I love how receptive people are. And we're always so afraid that people aren't receptive, that we just be quiet. And that's not what we're being called to do as we're reading this. That's not it at all. We're called to gather people and bring them to Christ. How do you bring people to Christ without talking about Christ? And I just have to say, and it was really funny because I, I woke up the other morning because I was bearing my testimony in my sleep. And I was like, so excited. I'm going to bear my testimony this fast Sunday. And I was like, oh, is that next week? And I looked at the calendar. I'm like, oh, it's a long month. No, it's still like three weeks away. And then kind of like on Saturday or Sunday, I was like, I wish I would get asked to give a talk, but I know that's not going to happen. Okay, I gave the last talk on in March, just before the, everything shut down. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. And so Sunday night, just before we started our Zoom family meeting, I get a phone call from a member of the bishopric. Hey, Sister Galki, would you be willing to speak at church on Sunday? And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, do you want me to assign you a topic or do you want to pick your own? And I'm like, no, I want to pick my own. And he goes, well, what is it? I said, the love of Christ. And so I'm super excited. I hung up the phone and I go, well, I'm speaking. My mom's like, oh no. And my husband goes, you are? And I'm like, yep, I prayed. I prayed. <laughs> and I get to speak in church on Sunday. And so I'm just super, super excited. But this whole, this whole world of not keeping my feelings about the Savior close to my heart, rather talking about it has just, and it was even funny the state president, we had word conference on Sunday and the state president came up and he goes, what'd you do? And I said, oh, I told him. And he goes, oh no. Um, uh, my mom goes, I want to shoot those two dogs. And I said, no, mom, don't be violent. And, and I said, this has actually been a really good experience. And he laughed like, and I was like, no, this was really been a blessing to me in my life. And he really didn't know what to do with that. I said, I, want to write the people a letter and thank them for their dogs being out and for this experience, all the blessings I received and testify to them. And he was like, oh, huh. Like he didn't even know what to do with it. And then he left and talked to other people because he didn't, he was laughing at first, the first few times because even he didn't know what to, to do with that because we don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of foreign to, to, to a lot of us. <laughs> At, at the very end of the chapter, under postscript, oh, okay. this uh, paragraph has just caught my attention incredibly. It says, another technology is the laser. Of course, I'm in technology, but anyway, uh, 
if we compare truth to light, then our spirit's capacities to acquire truth resemble the ruby's capacity to absorb light. As the light inside accumulates, it becomes supercharged. It can then focus and penetrate in a manner that it couldn't before. Barring cracks in our own uh, rubies that uh, leaked away our light, we may absorb truth until our light can pierce heaven as deepest mysteries. And I'm thinking, gosh, isn't that a great explanation of who we are and what we're trying to do on this earth? that we're trying to absorb as much truth or light, right? Which is why we're on this Zoom call to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. And, and we, if we can absorb it and we can, can you know, improve ourselves and, and not leech away this light that we get, then we can use it for, for benefit to ascend the ladders of Isaiah. And then it says below, it says, you know, what we do with it, is what counts, right? And then it says, that's what separates everybody, divides the men from the boys or the angels from the men. I think, gosh, is that a great example of what we're all trying to do with our lives? Uh, you know, just, just a thought um, really hit me. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I, I'd never heard that about a ruby or anything as seven. It's like, <laughs> that is such a cool uh, metaphor to, to really be bringing out to, to see things better. Yeah, Elle? Yeah, I was just thinking of what Kathy said about ministering and how we just, you know, we don't open up. And it made me think of there's, I don't know if anybody knows who Brené Brown is, but she's either written a book or done a TED talk. And I looked it up, it's about the power of vulnerability. And I think we sometimes hide our light under a bushel. You know, we have light and we don't share it. We don't share our testimony. And there was a quote in the book that I really liked. Um, so if I can find it here, I just had it. It says, the inability of modern saints to repeat the acts of the ancients is a sign that we, in spite of far greater numbers, have fallen far behind God's response to this condition is to raise up a servant who will endow us with power all who heed God's call to repent. So I think we're guilty of hiding our light under a bushel sometimes. We're afraid of what other people are gonna think of us if we you know, go out and testify of Christ or just, you know, I think we're afraid. Like she said, we're trying to be perfect or we put on a face of being perfect. And so um, I just think we have to be more vulnerable and open about things. You know, we're afraid to show our faults. <laughs> we all have them <laughs> yeah so and i there's an article and i haven't read it it was interesting it was and uh, it was interesting a guy wore a name tag that says hello and it says my name is and he went out and just introduced himself to people and he said it was kind of scary and it wasn't for self-interest it was just to sort of give himself away and just meet new people and expose himself to new people kind of like that lady that interviews people he just wanted to you know, put himself out there to experience other people and have communication with them. And sometimes we just live our lives and our busyness. We don't acknowledge other people or try to connect with them. Mm -hmm. So I thought that's it. I'll put the video in the chat, the Brené Brown in the chat, yeah, if anybody's sure. interested. I, thank you. I totally agree with everything you said. And I wanted to share um, 
there's a lady in my ward who's like really, really quiet. She's really sweet, kind of introverted and uh, doesn't ever raise her hand, doesn't ever make a comment. And the bishop asked her to speak last month and she gave the most amazing talk and talked about how she has seen Christ. And um, he came to her in a dream and she saw, and she saw all him in Gethsemane and she bore the most incredible testimony. And my love for her grew like a thousand percent. And I just thought, this is what we need to be. And yet when I've shared things that have happened to me, I have so much social fear, like, oh, they probably think I'm wacky, <laughs> mm -hmm. but we have to just keep practicing it. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's hard to be vulnerable and let go because we do live in fear sometimes, you know, what are people going to think or what are people going to say, or, you know, I'm going to look silly or, you know, it's all those kind of things. Cause I have a friend that she says, I know the gospel is true and I want to share my testimony with people, but she says, I'm afraid of what they're going to, how they're going to react or they're going to say, Oh, I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet like my testimony is growing just from hearing hers. And so we have to just keep putting that foot out and keep putting, you mm -hmm. know, just putting ourselves out, like, just like missionary work, just put, keep knocking, keep knocking until I don't know. Don't you think we just yeah, have think, to be brave. Yeah. We just have to we be do. brave and vulnerable, just like you said. Yeah. And it just takes practice. I think the more we do it, the better we get at it. Mm -hmm. I just have to say the people I've talked to that are not members have not like, they have completely opened up to me. It was the stake president that didn't and didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> you know, and I, that's just super interesting. But as I've shared with non-members, my neighbors, they, they've just, it's been a beautiful experience. So how are you approaching them, Althea? I mean, what are you saying? Um, they'll ask me, what'd you do to your arm? And I'll tell them. And then I say, this has been the most wonderful experience. I felt the love of God so much and he's blessed me so much. I'm so grateful for it. And then they just kind of start talking. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. And I find that uh, anytime that I'm able to, to really talk about Christ and stuff is when I'm testifying or, or sharing a, a struggle that I've had, not just if it's something that I'm learning, you know, and I'm trying to share it, it it's usually kind of fallen on deaf ears. But if it's like testifying of a principle or a blessing through a struggle, uh, that's what really resonates with people. I don't know, I, the two or three times that I, I've <laughs> done it lately, but um, uh, those are what really connects, uh, I think, that they're like, oh, you're human too. Okay. <laughs> I think that's what connects us, our humanity, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's where we have to connect on that level because we're all sometimes, you know, have weaknesses and struggle and, you know, and that's where I think that's where we connect. So like I, we, we talked on Sunday, we did the talk, um, infuriating, what is it? It's where people, it was, I can't remember who spoke, but infuriating differences or something. It's about mm -hmm. challenges in life. And one of the sisters commented that, um, that we just need to be compassionate and empathetic for everyone because we're all on different levels and we're all struggling to do our best. And um, I think 
it's just hard. We like to put on a brave face in that word. We're not struggling. Mm-hmm. But I think we all, life is a challenge and it's meant to be. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love it. Well, we're a little bit over time, but any last kind of comments, uh, threads that you want to pull before we end for the night? I totally, I've been looking through here the whole time. I kind of found maybe some places where it talked about Zion, but I like, maybe that was the spirit teaching me. And I was just like, holy cow. Cause I saw it as the seraph level was helping to gather Zion and to protect the saints that's how I saw it. I don't know if anybody else got that out of there, but obviously that's what the spirit wanted me to hear and to learn was about the seraph level being the ones that are the proxy saviors as we gather in Zion and new Jerusalem. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that saw that, but I really can't find it now. I've been looking and looking, so it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had I had one that I, I kind of wanted to pick everyone's brain on. It's on uh, 258, almost to the bottom. It's in that last paragraph in that section there. It says, if we fail t- today to, attend the ser- to attain the seraph level after devoting our lives to God, it means we have strayed from his path to exaltation. Though our lives may be exemplary in other as- respects, The inability of modern saints to repeat the acts of the ancients is a sign that we, in spite of far greater numbers, have fallen far behind. And I don't know, I I was just having trouble grasping that. And I just, I really, really wanted to see what other people were thinking about that concept. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, those are some words there, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, once you know better, you got to do better. And if we, we don't get to that level, uh, there, there's something wrong because that's uh, his work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. And that's how we do it is, is by ascending the ladder. So yeah, the, <laughs> I don't know how, how many words I got on this, but like, it's pretty powerful uh in order to to attain that what are we doing if if we're not uh, ascending and and knowing these things i mean look at the scriptures every single prophet is testifying of the pattern in one way or another because we all have various ways to uh, that uh, god orchestrates our lives up the ladder but they're all testifying that this is this is real and, and so often we just look at it as, oh, this is great bedtime stories. And, and it's, we need to start looking at it as a mail order catalog. I want that blessing. I want that blessing. I want to ascend here. I want to send there. Instead of just, oh, that's great. That doesn't happen anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I really like what it says there that, you know, that the inability to, to repeat the acts of the ancients is that that we've fallen far behind which which we have a little bit of a chastisement right yeah so i found um something that i think you were referring to alethea it was on page 227 um it's at the very end of the page it says after lifting higher spiritually as many as they can 
They also rescue them physically by gathering them from among the wicked. Yep, that's it. It's that it's it's under that figure 94. Mm-hmm. They're they're helping the elect escape. And and like we talked about earlier, do all you can um, spiritually, and then the physical will happen. Yeah. No, that's it right there. That's that's part of it. And I just I just wonder how how many I'm just kind of curious if any other people have had impressions of future events and roles in this respect. <laughs> the look on your face after you ask it. <laughs> no, I had I had an experience in the temple and I, I'm not saying it's this in the seraph level. I, I don't know. I don't know what it means, but um, I was watching the creation i was very alert it was we lived just east of st louis in illinois and the st louis temple had just opened so it was the late 90s and i knew that my role like i i opened up the door it was dark it was cold and i helped a family quickly come in quietly at night in the dark and i knew they were cold wrapped in blankets I was supposed to get them warm, fed, and healed. And they were supposed to go on their way. And it was like, I don't know where it was. I don't, I didn't see the surroundings, just this door, but the door was open. So I didn't even see the door. It was the doorway. And, um, and I knew it was like an underground railroad. And I'm just curious, has anybody else had an impression like that? Um, I'm not showing my face today, but <laughs> I actually have had dreams of certain things that I would be doing and they've been very short and, but very profound. So, and I know, um, my good friend that I've talked about a couple of times, she's had many, she knows exactly what she she'll be doing. So uh, yes, I think that it's more often than not. We have this house here and we have a place up in Island park, North of Rexburg which is very remote. And I'm like, which house is it? Or am I going to be in somebody else's house? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Um, Shamala is raising her hand. I had a vision yesterday, actually, which is kind of crazy that you're asking. Mom, she's Where you not talking. Okay, no, I'm talking. Um, I watched North America and even more than that, but North America on fire, more or less, and watched families, um, moms, dads, kids, brothers, sisters, um, people carrying their little babies as their skin was like, I don't want to go more than PG, but um, where you could see the physical effects of the fire and what it had done to their skin and um, their figures and hearing the sounds and the smells and the, just the thickness and the heaviness of everything that was going on there. Um, and then watching from, I guess, that, that bird's eye view um, of these people gathering into what I would only see as little Zion cities. They were gathering into, it, they were like little circles. I don't know how to explain it better than that, but little circle cities that were rebels that went throughout North America and beyond. Um, and, and that there would be some, and me one of them, and I'm sure many of you on here too, 
would be there to comfort those because we're being prepared ahead of time. And our job and our role from my understanding of the spirit at this point is to comfort those who are in need, to lift up those hands that hang down and to strengthen the feeble knees and to bring them closer to Christ and to help them overcome that grief. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I guess just um, all the experiences that we're going through right now. My husband and I have essentially been homeless without power, without water, without plumbing, without toilets that flush, you know, us and our six kids for a week now and actually just get, got an apartment today. But these experiences have, have totally opened my eyes to tent cities and the things that people are going to be facing and where they have to leave their homes and leave their families and leave everything that they know behind and move into a strange place where they don't know anybody and just have to literally rely on the mercy of, of the Savior and of people. So um, whatever it is that all of you are going through, that's just my quick testament. My testimony is that the Lord's got a plan. And all your struggles right now are leading you to, in some way or another, help others. So if that helps you guys to face your struggles a little bit more and be a little bit stronger during the middle of them, um, that's my prayer for you because it, it will help others going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very yeah. special. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing. That was also on page 242. I have believed this for a long time, and this gave me confirmation that we will we will relive the beginnings of the church, the restoration, but there'll come a time where we will reenact the children of Israel. And that last paragraph, the pilgrimage of God's people to the promised land thus consists of a new wandering in the wilderness under divine protection. As a God accompanied them in the past, so he will again supplying their needs for the journey home, which is exactly what it's saying. That's the children of Israel, where we have to learn to rely on the Lord for everything. We relied on him for everything in the preexistence. We're down here. We're supposed to, you know, uh, live by the sweat of our brow and provide for ourselves. And yet we're also supposed to build Zion and rely on the Lord for everything. And we forget that. And so there's going to be a time, I think, where we're like the children of Israel learning again to fully rely on the Lord for everything, which I think is what President Nelson's been trying to tell us when he says that in the future days, we will not be able to survive without um, the accompaniment of the Holy Ghost and the personal revelations, because that's what we're going to, I don't think we're going to be in one big mass, like the children of Israel looking towards the prophet. We're going to be in our own little groups and it may be families or just small little groups, but we'll need to rely on the Lord for, to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Any final <laughs> comments? Last call. <laughs> yeah, it's been such a fun night. I, <laughs> I love our, our discussions everywhere they go. Um, there, <laughs> this is a, a huge chapter yet. Um, uh, it's interesting where we take it and and everybody's experiences that they're actually living right now and and learning from each other i i just love it um so yeah i will 
we'll say good night and we'll we'll see everyone for chapter eight next week it's gonna be fun <laughs> all right have a great week everyone thank you